Welcome to Mind Love, Episode 80. Today's episode is all about how to stop people-pleasing and start saying no for a happier, more authentic you. Niceness requires a lot of suppression of our truth, of our desires, and that actually creates usually unconscious in people, but uh, frustration, anger, resentment, you know, and none of those feelings are nice. None of those are acceptable. So you push them down too, and you get a lot of internal stress. That's why it's very common for nice people to have a lot of issues related to their autonomic nervous systems. Not only is this not a, quote, good or moral way to be, because it's fear-based and ultimately probably is more hurtful to others in a way over time, like through avoidance and stuff, but also it's like tearing you up inside. And how does it feel? Like we all know it doesn't feel good. So you're allowed and it's safe and it's okay and everyone will benefit in your life. You and all your relationships will be enhanced as you become more you and become more bold and assertive. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Have you tapped the subscribe button yet? More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus, it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more mind love. Hi, wild people. Today's episode was highly requested. I think it's something that a lot of us struggle with. People-pleasing shows up in a lot of different forms. Sometimes we bend our wills and just tend to the desires of all the people around us. Or we might not stand up for ourselves. We might just avoid conflict altogether. We might not have any boundaries. To be honest, I've actually had sex with people just because I didn't know how to say no. How sad is that? In college, I remember this time I got caught up in a heavy makeout session after who knows how many shots of vodka from plastic bottles. And I remember the guy. Actually, I don't remember the guy or his name, but I do remember he had to go to the bathroom. And as soon as that door shut, I snuck out the back, climbed through a hole in the fence, in a miniskirt and stilettos, and just booked it. So here I am, sprinting through frat row in four-inch heels. It's basically the opposite of the walk of shame. It's the sprint of shame avoidance or something. So yeah, it took me years to learn to stand up for myself or to speak my boundaries. And it's something I'm still working on. My husband makes fun of me because the times that I get most uncomfortable are when I feel like I'm going to let someone down. So those texts or phone calls are like torture for me. And it can be something as simple as telling my mom I'm going to be 15 minutes late to dinner. So if this speaks to you, don't worry, I am getting us help. By the end of this, I want you to be able to easily say no when you want and need to. Confidently just ask for what you want. Can you imagine that? And speak up more freely in all of your relationships. And how amazing would it feel to be able to do all of this without guilt or anxiety or worrying about what other people think? Our guest today is Dr. Aziz Ghazipura. He's a clinical psychologist and one of the world's leading experts on social confidence. He grew up having tons of social anxiety, which led him to study how to develop confidence. And his latest book is called Not Nice. Stop people-pleasing, staying silent, and feeling guilty, and start speaking up, saying no, asking boldly, and unapologetically being yourself. So today, three key things we will learn are how too much niceness actually causes pain, how to create boundaries and get the courage to speak up, 
and how to go from self-sacrificing to healthy self-interest. Before we dive in, I want to share the easiest way to start each day with a positive mindset. Thousands of other wild women are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power that are the perfect addition to your morning routine. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven principles from the most successful people to automate your best self. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set to a magical binaural frequency known as the Miracle Tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. The layered affirmations perfectly tune your frequency for personal transformation. Go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. Now let's welcome Dr. Aziz Ghazipura to the show. Thank you for having me. So to start out, where did your interest in social confidence come from? How far back do you want to go? The reason that I am so interested in confidence and helping people be more boldly themselves, more expressive, more liberated, as you might imagine, comes from wanting that myself. And so for a good chunk of my life, that was not available. I had a lot of social anxiety, difficulty talking to others, doing even something like this, like an interview, whether video or audio or something would have been completely out of the question. And so I was just avoiding many things in life. In a way, it felt like life was passing me by. And then I reached a a breaking point where I looked at what is this going to lead to in 10 years, 20 years, the rest of my life. And from that moment, made a decision. And in that moment, I decided I was going to do whatever it takes to figure this out. Now, I didn't say that in my head, literally, but that was the energy of it. And then from that moment, I started looking for solutions and uh, discovered something that was so profound that it became the core of what I teach now, which is that we can learn confidence. And anyone can learn confidence. And it's not something we're born with, it's a skill. And so is being less nice and more assertive. So is being able to talk to someone, give a presentation, whatever it might be. So hence the obsession began. What was that? Maybe 16, 17 years ago now and has not stopped since. So if we're not born with this skill of confidence, why do you think some children end up with it and others have such a difficult time? Yeah, that is a great question because we humans, we love simple, right? We want to know. Okay, what is it? Is it their genes? As if that's simple in any way. Or the environment. It was a bad dad, right? A bad mom. Who can we blame? (laughs) And it's really much more complex than that. Is it nature or nurture? It's really, it's everything, right? So some kids might be born with more what's called behavioral inhibition, where they're a little more shy. They're a little more hesitant. They're, you know, maybe they're a little more sensitive in their nervous system. And so they react to sounds or people's energies. And you have that. The kid might be a little more shy, a little more averse to risk socially. Then also, though, one thing that does seem to influence it is how much emotional maturity is in the household that we grow up in. And emotional maturity might be described as the parents being able to navigate the world of emotion. That means they can talk about emotion. They can deal with emotions. They can identify emotions in their kids and themselves and express them and talk about it and reflect them. And so the child starts to learn, oh, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. These are normal things. I can feel these feelings. And that might sound very simple in this little interview that we're doing, but I mean, it's rare to find households 
especially maybe now there's more of it, but 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, where people were emotionally mature. And there's a lot of like, don't feel, just do, stop whining, stop feeling, get over your fear, don't be annoying, don't be aggressive, and just get in line. And as a result, whatever our natural tendencies might be in our personality, they get really turned up. And that's where you get a lot more social anxiety, a lot more people pleasing. If I just stay quiet, if I just do what everyone else wants, then I'll be okay. Then people will like me. I love what you said about wanting this simple answer to everything because I feel that way. I mean, I'm always looking for the why behind things, but the more I try to drill it down to some simple answer, the more complicated I feel, which makes me feel like even more of an outlier. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. there's nothing that explains me. And I'm wondering how many other people end up feeling that way too, because nobody feels like they fit right into a box. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, even just on a literal physical level, that's what the whole pursuit of what's the smallest compound we can find, right? It's like, oh, it's the cell. Oh, let's drill in further. What is it? Oh, it's, it's atoms. Aha. We know the atom is the smallest thing. And then, no, it's a proton, which means the smallest unit that can exist. And then they're like, no, wait, it's a cloud. No, wait, it's like waves. No, it's nothing. Right. And so it seems that way when we drill into ourselves or the human experience that there's there is no, there's nothing to grasp onto. And that might feel frustrating or scary to a part of us, but that's actually the most beautiful thing of all, because it means that we're so much more like air or water and therefore that much more fluid. And so anything that we want to change, we can. It's interesting how this concept of either social anxiety or being too nice can have so many different forms. So there's some people that may have a hard time going into a group setting at all. They might dislike parties. I was a party girl for as long as I could remember. I loved being social. I was such an extrovert for a long period of time. But the amount that I really wanted to fit in deeply, while at the same time doing everything I could to stand out, it really didn't make that much sense. There was a lot of dissonance in my actions. So what are the different forms that people have when it comes to people pleasing? Yeah, that's a great question, Melissa, because people tend to think of, oh, shy, social anxiety. Oh, that's the wallflower in the corner who's downcast eyes and so forth. And that's one way that it can manifest. A more introverted person might veer towards that way if they're dealing with social anxiety. But there's people who are ambiverts, which means in between introvert and extrovert. There's people who are extroverts, and it doesn't show up in the same way for them because they can interact with people. They aren't so maybe needing to preserve their energy and be internal, but it still shows up. And so even if someone's very socially skilled, it shows up. And the way that it shows up often is niceness. And it is that people pleasing. So what that means is you can engage very well or very maybe even loudly or be the center of attention, but there's still an anxiety about being totally free to be you and express you. And even if it doesn't look that way outside, people are like, oh, look at this. They seem so confident. But inside, I can be confident if I look and perform this kind of way. But if I could just say what I really think, you know, this happens a lot for extroverts. They can be very jovial and fast and quick-witted, and, but it's next to impossible for them to be able to show up and feel down or reveal that maybe they're struggling with something. And so that's the way that their social anxiety manifests because it, or they're nice, they're they're people pleasing. It's like, well, if I'm the real me, I show who I am and what's what I'm experiencing right now, then that's not okay. People aren't going to like me. 
And so we live in this facade and it's maybe a more adaptive or looks good on the outside facade, but it still creates that same loneliness. And so then you can have this fascinating phenomenon where that extroverted person who's floating around the party and looks great and everything is feeling just as lonely inside at the end of the day, at the end of the night, as that wallflower who wasn't talking to anyone because neither one is able to fully be themselves. I have always been someone who's prioritized wellness. Well, at least what I understood about it at the time, which has definitely evolved. But now I live in a town where some of my conveniences just aren't as accessible as when I lived in L.A., Then I found Aloe Moves and my whole experience changed. I've been an avid yogi for 16 years, but frankly, I am just underwhelmed by most online yoga. Their flows are either too easy or not varied enough. Well, Aloe Moves has everything. Of course, they have an endless selection of beginner content since that is the category most people fall into, but they even have advanced and yoga teacher focused content. They are the only online platform that I can find that I can narrow down the time that I'm looking for precisely. Like, I have 38 minutes today. What you got? (laughs) They have something for every mood. Trying to get a good sweat? Try their award-winning workouts like sweat-inducing yoga flows, HIIT classes, or reformer Pilates workouts with or without weights. Or find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and even journaling for those quiet moments. And when it comes to sleep, it's just as important as fitness and nutrition. Ever since I watched The Art of Sleep on Aloe Moves, I've been falling asleep faster and staying asleep longer. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to alomoves.com now and use code MINDLOVE for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's alomoves.com code MINDLOVE. alomoves.com code MINDLOVE. If there's one topic that keeps coming up in my women's circles, it's our hormones. Frankly, I think that between years of birth control or beauty products that mess with endocrine function, a lot of us are just out of whack. EstroControl is a formula developed by Happy Mammoth, a supplement company dedicated to making women's lives easier. It has science-backed herbal extracts that help support hormonal health, especially in women who suffer from PMS. The way EstroControl eases PMS is pretty interesting. The ingredients support the liver, and that's where our hormones get processed, especially estrogen. So when the estrogen isn't processed well in the liver... Women may start having PMS, spots on the skin, they get cravings, they feel low all of a sudden. EstroControl was created to help women feel like themselves all throughout the month because PMS can basically rob us of a week of our lives every month. Totally not fair. EstroControl is made specifically for women who are premenopausal, so it's perfect for women that haven't entered menopause yet. And in fact, it's amazing for perimenopause when hormones start to fluctuate and PMS can turn into a beast. I have been relearning myself postpartum. I just started my period again when my baby was 10 months and I forgot how wild these hormone changes can be. I wanted something to just maintain optimal hormone levels and help with mild mood swings, and EstroControl is perfect for this. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com with promo code MINDLOVE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use promo code MINDLOVE for 15% off your first order. As I get older, the more I realize how much of my personality has that introvert. So now I realize I am an ambivert where I used to just think I was this extroverted person all the time. 
And the way my social anxiety would show up is I would be freely myself and people would wonder where I got the boldness to say certain things and do certain things. But when I would be by myself, if there was any backlash for me being uniquely me, I would sit and mill that over in my brain over and over again or immediately have regrets or wonder if I said something wrong. And when I was really thinking back to maybe why this could be, I thought about the fact that my mom, when we would leave a family party, it was always the drive home where she would have a conversation with me where she thought she was being very polite about it. Instead of calling me out in front of the family for saying something rude, she would have the conversation with me on the drive home. But then I think that's where it stemmed from of just developing like, okay, well, now the party's over. What did I do wrong? Is that how something like this could manifest? Absolutely. Now, would she be doing that? You would hear her, she would talk about her own debriefing and sort of self-evaluation, or she would like break it down with you and say, all right, honey, maybe you should have been more like this and you probably shouldn't have said that. It was with me. And so, like I said, I loved the shock factor. I would say really inappropriate things. I still Uh do, (laughs) if you know me well. (laughs) But my mom was... A much more introverted and much more conservative yeah. about oh, the things that, that she so said. Yeah. And so she would try <laughs> to like teach me to be a real life human that goes out in public <laughs> on the drive home. And she would say it in a friendly way usually, or I don't know, sometimes I'd be in trouble, but I don't know. I think that's where it stems from where yeah. it's the drive home for me that I'm always having yeah. this feeling. Absolutely. I mean, these patterns, they can be that simple in their transmission. And it could happen, especially if it's repeated. But even if it's once, if it's intense enough for us to remember it, we can lock it in and then just repeat that pattern. And any pattern like that, that we do that doesn't serve us, but we keep doing it, usually what it means is there's an emotional charge to it where that got lodged in it. And it's like this, it keeps firing off. Like we're trying to clear it. We're trying to heal from it, but it just keeps firing again and again and again. And the message there is you got to be this. Don't be that way. Be this other way. If you're the first way, that's not good. The fear that your mom had and maybe sort of subtly infused in you is you got to be this other way or bad things are going to happen some way, shape or form. People aren't going to like you. You're going to lose opportunities. Be something, something, something. And really what's happening there is that's her own fear and probably based upon her own life and experience. But something that's interesting is being a parent, someone who struggled with a lot of social anxiety myself and then now teaches and helps people be free of this for my mission in the world. And then I'm raising kids and be like, okay, hmm, let's experiment. How do we do this here without creating a bunch of shame and passing on social anxiety? And I found one metaphor that I like is raising kids, how wide of a field, imagine you have this wild horse and you need to have some fence around the area that they can run in, but how big can you make that space as a parent? Because there's little moments where they do things and you're like, you contract inside and you're like, no, you should be more like me or, oh, that's a social norm or, and, but how much can you stretch and expand and kind of relax and let them be as wide and as big and as experimental as they can, you know, with some safety perimeter there. And I think the more we can do that as parents, the less we sort of pass on that fear and shame. Right. Right really does change the way you interact with people when you realize that all these expectations that you have on yourself is really just a filter or the lens that you're looking at the world through based on your past experiences. 
I had an episode with a woman named Teal Swan back in episode 48, and she is kind of amazing. She says the way she sees the world, she's a spiritual leader, by the way, the way she sees the world is how other people see the world when they're on some sort of plant medicine. So things are moving. She says she sees auras and things like that. And she said being a mom was one of the scariest things ever because she has this ability to see when damage is done. And she realized that there's nothing she can do as a parent to completely protect her child from being emotionally traumatized in some way. So she might Mm. react in a way and then suddenly see his color change or something along those lines. But I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where there's no total simplicity or clarity in life, really. There's no perfection either. We all, no one can go through this life avoiding and not having any pain. And the pain is inevitable. Pain occurs at the hands of people we love. We dole out pain. It's part of love. It's part of the connection. And so we want to minimize it, of course, but there'll be moments. And what's, what's really helpful to remember if people are, and this is true for all relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship or a parent-child relationship is, because sometimes people can get perfectionistic and like, oh no, that means I better not mess up my kids. Actually, what's more important than being perfect and never getting upset or anything is how can you repair? Can you repair the moment of the rupture where you didn't act in your values, whether it's with your partner or your kid? Can you go to them and say, hey, this just happened an hour ago and I acted in this way and I got angry and I got reactive and I'm sorry. I didn't want to handle it that way. You want to have a do-over. This is something we do in our family all the time with our little kids. We have a three and a five-year-old. It's like, hey, I didn't like the way that I did that. This is what was happening for me. Would you like to have a do-over? And you can just see they brighten up and then they're laughing. And just that, that repair and that ability to comment on what happened helps them resolve it. And it doesn't get stuck in that same way than if they had no one to talk to about and the parents like, that didn't happen. Well, I did that because you deserved it, you know, and then it's stuck in them. So there is hope, even if we're not perfect. Right. It's kind of the difference between what's more important to teach your child how to avoid pain or how to develop resilience. And my husband and I kind of do the do over thing as well. But it comes from the fact that we realize that we're all human and a lot of our reactions aren't going to be the ones that we would want on our highlight reel. So when we have an emotional reaction, which is what a lot of our reactions are, they're not logical. They're not thought out. They're in the moment and they are emotional. So we allow each other and ourselves the freedom to come back and do it again in a higher version of ourselves. When our emotions have settled, when we've had a moment to think and step outside of fight or flight mode. But I think being able to do this is not only important for relationships, but it's important to give yourself that freedom too. Because if you're always judging yourself or other people by their lowest points, then you're kind of holding them there in a way, or you're holding yourself there in a way. And then it just perpetuates the cycle of being so afraid to make mistakes that you don't ever get to the point of authenticity. Absolutely. And that's where a concept that I like to teach is called OMOS, which stands for on my own side. And it's a way of thinking about being self-compassionate and really loving ourselves no matter what, especially when we fall short or react emotionally or fail. And a phrase that I like to think of around this is instant forgiveness. 
And so often there's a certain amount of time we have to grind away on ourselves and judge ourselves and hold it against ourselves or someone else. And then after the punishment has been doled out, we can forgive ourselves. And actually you get to decide that. And you can have a policy of like, hey, when I act out a line or something, like how quickly can I forgive myself and make a game of it? And, you know, the goal being instant where it's like, yeah, I did that. Okay. And then now I can reapproach that person and do it within five minutes instead of five hours or five days later. Right. And I think the common denominator here is freedom of expression and allowing that in yourself and in other people and realizing that most of the time, the thing that we're worried about or the reaction that we're worried about isn't even going to happen. It's this thing that lives in the future that's never going to come to fruition because we're just cycling it around in our heads, creating and magnifying a fear that doesn't even have to be there. And this realization, I think, is one of the biggest freedoms that we can give ourselves. I mean, most of this is just social conditioning. But I think as we evolve as a species, the more we're starting to realize about our own psychology, about what really creates happiness. One of the biggest shifts I see happening is really understanding that the more we allow ourselves this, the more value we're going to be able to create because we'll be willing to shine our unique light or give that value that only we can give. But then this brings me to the point of why is it a problem to be too nice and how do we know if we're doing it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the challenge is the language because we think of nice and we think it's a good thing and we associate it often to being kind, being generous, being loving, being tolerant, all these things. And I make a distinction in my book called Not Nice because there's actually a quality when most of the time when people are talking about niceness, they're talking about some form of caretaking others or being polite. Those aren't bad things, but they're done at the expense of the truth or of authenticity. So it's like, oh, did you like that conversation with that person? Oh, no, it was awful. But I told them it was great and I'd see them again. Well, why'd you say that? Well, I, I wanted to be nice. I didn't want to be mean. And so all of a sudden now we have this thing that it's like the opposite of nice is mean. The opposite of nice is to be a jerk. And we set up this kind of false dichotomy where actually in most cases, niceness is a fear-based pattern where we do not want to make waves. We don't want to cause upset in other people And really what we don't want is our own emotional discomfort of any sort of friction or tension. We want everything to be super smooth. And then we say the opposite is to say something really harsh. But actually the opposite of nice is to be authentic, is to be truthful. And this doesn't mean like brutal truth where you're saying things that don't need to be said. Like, I don't enjoy talking to you. You are a boring conversationalist. You know, like you don't have to say that. But how about you interrupt that conversation and you change the direction of it? You don't just smile and nod and keep building up internal frustration and resentment. How about if you're really not enjoying the conversation, you say, listen, thank you for sharing this with me. And I'm going to go. There's a friend over here that I wanted to catch up with before she leaves. And so I'll, I'll see you later. And that might sound very basic to some people, but to someone who's been overly nice for a long time, they'd be like, ooh, that's so offensive. That's so rude. I couldn't do that. And so that's where you know you're being too nice is when you cannot be you You cannot be authentic because of fear of how other people will react. I can relate to that so much. My niceness comes in conflict avoidance. And it's interesting that it comes from this need to be nice or to avoid disappointing people because sometimes it will 
play out in a way where I just avoid texting back, which is so much more annoying and rude than if I just wrote the thing that I was afraid to say. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we really see. I'm so glad you mentioned that because we say it's about being nice, which means polite and kind or something. But really, it's about I don't want to feel the discomfort of the conflict and of the friction. And really what's underneath that is I'm scared. I'm scared of conflict because on some level, I think conflict is going to mean overwhelming emotions that I can't deal with. It's going to mean pain and irreparable damage to the relationship or to my future. And these kind of these vague shadowy fears of conflict is bad and dangerous. So it's really about avoiding that and protecting ourselves. It's a more kind of guarded, protected way of life, which might me seem smoother in the short term. But oof, in the long term, there is a high cost with like accumulating interest cost to our relationships because relationships ultimately break down, whether they're romantic, business, social, without that authenticity. There's a breakdown in our own sense of internal knowing who we are. This is so common with people that I work with that when they start to look inward and want to be more assertive and want to be less nice and want to be more authentic, the first challenge they have after you know, being willing to face their fear is I don't know who I am. I don't even know what I want. I've been so oriented towards pleasing others that I don't even know. And so that's another huge cost of niceness is this alienation from our own selves, our own thoughts, feelings, perspective. And then finally, one of the other biggest costs actually is to our nervous system because niceness requires a lot of suppression of our truth, of our desires. And that actually creates usually unconscious in people, but frustration, anger, resentment. None of those feelings are nice. None of those are acceptable. So you push them down too. And you get a lot of internal stress on the nervous system. That's why it's very common for nice people to have a lot of issues related to their autonomic nervous system. So stomach issues, jaw, like clenching, problems with back pain, joint pain, a lot of stuff that's actually mind-body related comes from years of niceness. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's come more to light in recent years is the damage that is really done by repressed emotions. Because just because we're repressing them doesn't mean they go away. We just have yeah. less control about how it's going to be expressed. So instead, it's somehow manifesting inside our body in a way that's going to do way more damage in the long run. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, well said. That is the case. And I think people are becoming more aware of that now. And it's not so much like you repress the emotion and the next day you keel over. It's really slow and it's really subtle. And that's why it's taking a long time for people to really see it. And, you know, also there's a general bias in the mainstream medical community that is sort of a rejection of all things non-biochemical and tangible. And so like an emotion, you can't point to that. That's confusing. Just ignore that, you know, but I think in spite of that, there's enough awareness now that, that people really see that. So all those things combine and I have a chapter in the book called The High Cost of Nice. And I really want people to get that you might think this not only is this not a quote good or moral way to be because it's fear-based and ultimately probably is more hurtful to others in a way over time in the way you described like through avoidance and stuff. But also it's like tearing you up inside. And how does it feel? Like we all know it doesn't feel good. So I really want to build the case to break that uh, social conditioning, that nice training from childhood and say, no, actually, 
you're allowed and it's safe and it's okay and everyone will benefit in your life. You and all your relationships will be enhanced as you become more you and become more bold and assertive. Right. I drill in on this podcast all the time, just the importance of being authentic, but it's so much harder than we think because we're always told to be your authentic self. But I think so much of this journey of life is self-discovery and figuring out who that is. So to be told in your early 20s to just, oh, be your authentic self, I had no idea who that was. I'm just starting to figure that out. But you will never get the breadcrumbs that will lead you there if you're always trying to people please, as you said. And even at the very basic level where, yes, these repressed emotions might take a while to really manifest into health issues, but how many times have I sat there and been afraid to send the text message that I feel is going to let somebody down. And so not only are they getting more irritated on the other end, but I am over here just only thinking about that. It is painful. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's not these horrible consequences in health and stuff, just on a day-to-day -day level, it absorbs our focus and our life energy in things that don't serve us. Like they're not really, they're not our purpose. They're not meaningful. They're not deeply significant. We just get hung up in these little loops and we can burn a lot of energy and time. And, and that energy could be used towards anything, loving people more, creating something of value, the work you put into this podcast, like all these things can get freed up when we don't waste our energy in that way. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. And get this, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? Two words, living intentionally. We have to take full responsibility for every area of our lives, including our health, which also includes our air. And that's why I love my air doctor. 
As a reminder, when you support my sponsors, you also support the show. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants, so your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants like allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, spores, and even bacteria and viruses. I live in the mountains, and our air is pretty great. When I drive home, I can witness myself rising above the cloud of pollution that covers the rest of Southern California. But I know that even in the mountains, my home traps in the contaminants that my family brings inside. Plus, just sleeping one night with my air doctor, I could actually feel the difference. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe-easy money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund, minus shipping. So head to Air Doctor Pro and use promo code MIND, and depending on the model, you'll get up to $300 off. You're saving up to $300. Lock the special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code MIND. That's promo code M-I-N-D. The more restraints you put on yourself on how you think is appropriate to act and be and express, naturally, you're going to have more restraints on other people and judgments for when they step out of whatever norm you think you're creating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Melissa, is that people don't really like hearing this, but the truth is that the nicer we are, often the more suppressed anger there is inside. And because of that, right, it's like all this pent up stuff that we haven't said, but it's like, I don't have permission to say what I want, ask for what I want, be who I am. And so when we see other people doing it, we're angry at them, right? We're angry at their freedom. We're angry that, oh, they're, look at them being all pushy and saying what they want. But deep down, we wish we could do that too. So there's a lot. And I have this joke with my wife. There'll be occasionally a situation where we meet somebody or something. And I've just been doing this work for so long and I'm pretty intuitive and sensitive. And I can just like feel we have this interaction with someone and they're very nice and friendly. Like, oh, hi, very good. Nice to meet you. And I'm like, that man or that guy, that woman is just like a seething with anger, nice person. (laughs) And maybe I can see it so well because I lived that myself for many years. And now on the other side of that, I can just see that the pent up and the tension and all the judgment they're having of people, even if they don't express it out loud. So how do we start to free ourselves from this and start to step into our boldness? Beautiful. Yeah. So step one, and really listening to this interview and this conversation, people are going to start to see, wow, this isn't working. And that's really the first step is kind of deconstruct nice and make a fundamental decision to be less nice and to know that that's not being bad or an immoral person or hurtful, or it's to be more authentically you, to be more bold. That's the true opposite of nice. So that's step one is to decide to be less nice. Then step two is to start doing the uncomfortable things that you would do if you were being more boldly authentic. So sending that text message, potentially disappointing that person, exiting the conversation when you feel done, saying no, and I have specific chapters about these things, but it's like saying no, asking for what you want, being able to know what your preferences are and therefore have boundaries with people. And every single one of these things, depending upon the person and the situation, might be a little or a lot uncomfortable. Now, I'm a big believer in gradual exposure, so you don't need to run out there and do the hardest thing nonstop and kind of no pain, no gain kind of thing. We can actually be much more gentle with it and just look for little opportunities. Where can I say no in kind of a low risk situation? And then you work up the courage, the confidence, the muscle 
then eventually you can say it in a higher stakes situation. So step two is to do the uncomfortable stuff day in and day out. And then step three is to work through the backlash, work through that car ride home scenario that you're describing earlier. Everyone's got their version of that. For me, it was like I would replace stuff in the shower the next morning and just be like, oh God, that was so terrible. So whatever it is, the guilt, it usually comes as guilt or fear. Oh my, what are they going to think of me? And whatever comes up, we need to learn how to navigate those waters. Because as long as we're unwilling to do that, then we will not take the authentic actions. But if you are willing to do that, then you just keep repeating that cycle again of action and then working through stuff and then action, working through stuff. And before you know it, people that I've seen that I work with have really radical transformations where they're like, just fundamentally different in the way that they approach the world. And then as a result, the way people respond to them, the level of authority or leadership they might move into, the kind of romantic relationships they can create, it's really beautiful. So even though it is a process and it doesn't happen overnight, the change can be very dramatic and extremely liberating. I can definitely attest to that because one of the things that I've shared before is how the more we're trying to please other people. And the more we're being this person that we're not really, we're creating this persona. And so you're going to start attracting people and situations that are perfect for this persona that's not actually you, that's not actually going to make you happy. So (laughs) then you sit here and you keep trying to please everybody else. Nobody else is quite as happy because on a basic level, you can kind of sense when somebody's not being authentic, even if you don't know what it is that's quite off about it. It just doesn't seem very real. And then you're not that person either. And so there's no match for the people around you, the situations you're putting in. And so when I started to actually create my boundaries or realize what I liked and didn't like, it was a process. I had to start slow because I didn't have this list down of the things I liked and didn't like. So I was like, going out into the world and taking note afterwards and doing a little bit of reflecting and and thinking, okay, maybe I don't like big group settings. Maybe I would rather go to a tiny wine bar than go to this party over here, you know, thinking of 20s examples, because that's when this was going on. But it was a little push, a little pull and testing the waters in a lot of situations. And that's the only way, really. If we've been disconnected from ourselves and we need to know who we are, that's not just like a light bulb decision. It's a process. And so we discover, we really learn who we are. And for a lot of people, they might never have learned because from the age of three or younger, the parent was saying, don't be this way, be that way. And so they were, they were that way to get love or respect or peace with a family member or parents. And then they're that way in school. And then they're that way. Oh, this is how I got to be to date. And we do that for 20 years, you know, 30 years. Sometimes I'll work with clients in their fifties or sixties or seventies. And what it doesn't matter, though, whenever we discover it, we can start to go through that process you're describing. And it's actually a very beautiful thing to really learn, well, who am I really? Not this idea that I'm supposed to be this way or that. And it's an ongoing process. And it's actually a very fun and interesting process. If you're just on your own side the whole time and you have less, you just let go of all your preconceived notions of how you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be and just say, well, who am I really? What do I really like? And then in some ways, it's like being a young kid. I mean, little kids, they don't need to justify it. 
they just like what they like and they say what they like and they try to get what they want. And it's actually this very beautiful thing. And you can awaken that kind of freedom by going through the process that you're describing. Exactly. And there's so much, especially in adulthood, where we are trying to learn how to be the perfect spouse or employee or mother. But I don't think we spend as much time going inward to develop that relationship with ourselves as we need to, to actually understand who we are. When we're getting to know a new partner, we ask them questions and we go out and do experiences and you figure out what you like to do together and what you like to do separately. But there is a lot that goes into getting to know somebody. And we just skip that with ourselves sometimes when we should spend that time and look at it like courting ourselves or taking ourselves out on a date and actually reflect back on the answers instead of just assuming you know everything about you. Because even though you're spending every waking moment with yourself, how many times have you heard somebody say, oh, I don't like being alone with my thoughts? Or how many times do we scroll through other people's lives instead of creating our own? Yeah, I know. And that really is. So the next book I'm working on is called Almost On My Own Side. And it's really about how to end that self-criticism and that disconnection and really love who we are. And a big part of that isn't just not calling ourselves names or judging ourselves. That's a first step. But then the next part is really what you're describing is what's it like to really fall in love with myself and get to know myself and spend time with myself. And oftentimes we're just like trying to control ourselves like we're a robot or a a beast of burden or something. (laughs) We're just trying to push us this way and push us that way. And it doesn't matter how you feel about it. You just do it. And if, if you took a step out about, you know, looked at the way you relate to yourself, and imagine that that was the way that a partner related to you. The truth is, for most of us, if we're really honest, a lot of the time, you'd kind of grimace and be like, is that abusive? Is that okay? Is that, that doesn't seem very good. At the very least, it's pretty harsh. And that's yet another thing to wake up to. And then the beautiful thing is, once we make the decision to be on our own side, to be more authentic, we can learn. And we can learn relatively quickly. I mean, if you've been one way for 50 years, you might think, oh man, how many decades to shift? But I found that when people are willing to focus on this, like in my training programs or a mastermind or something, they can make these shifts. You know, they've been doing something for 50 years and they make it, they can make a shift in like six or 12 months. And maybe that doesn't sound super fast, but in my book, that's rapid. So I think there's a lot of hope here that, you know, so I'm so glad, you know, people listening, if it speaks to you, just start accelerate on that process. And before long, There's so much more self-love and freedom available. Right. And it's not selfish. I think that's one of the things I hear so often, especially from women. I mean, from men too, from both sides, because we've been told even the word selfish. It's like, oh, we're focusing on ourself too much. But if you aren't spending the time to get to know what your boundaries are, what you like and dislike, then you're not taking care of your own energy. And that's going to shine through. And as we've learned is our energy is contagious. It's why you can cut tension with a knife when you walk into a room. So if you're not taking care of yourself, then that is spreading to your family, that's spreading to your friends, that's spreading to your employees or whoever you work with. You can tell when somebody isn't on their game or when they're neglecting themselves. And a lot of times that ends up shining through in how you treat other people too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I love that. I think that 
it's very unfortunate because selfish is yet another thing that is used in our upbringing to shame us. And it's very unfortunate because, uh, and seeing this in our kids, like there's just a developmental, I think a lot of the shaming occurs because people aren't aware of the natural development of children and how young children just like literally do not have empathy online yet in their circuitry, in their brain. And so parents get upset by this, you know, their their three-year-old doesn't want to share or doesn't seem to, their four-year-old doesn't seem to feel too bad after he pushes his brother down, <laughs> you know? And they're like, as a grown-up sort of wanting pro-social behavior, we're kind of like, oh, this is horrid. They're like, my and child's so, a sociopath. <laughs> right. And people react and they, oh, it's selfish and shame and bad. And, and it's really unfortunate because if you just, it's the exact opposite. You might get some short-term control and, and sort of pseudo-empathy-like behaviors from your kid, but you don't really teach empathy. And you teach them to say they're sorry when they don't really feel anything. But if you just nourish and nurture that, actually, it starts to come online. And it's like sort of sputters and starts and then it goes away and starts. And But if you just keep feeding that and watering that, then eventually they can be so much more truly loving. And otherwise, it's niceness, which is fake. It looks loving. It looks caring. But inside, it's really not. And so part of that is to think of selfish as very different. Think of it as, I like to call it a, the selfish spectrum. As an adult, you can be too far down that spectrum where you are like, you know, screw you, I'm going to get mine and I don't care about other people. And there are people that live that way. There are people in positions of power that operate that way. And that is a sort of toxic impact on those around them and themselves. But there is the other end of the spectrum where a lot of nice people are that's called self-sacrificing. And this is not so saintly because you're the opposite of that selfish person. Actually, it's in many ways just as toxic for you, for your relationships. And so there's actually this sweet spot in the middle that's called healthy self-interest. And that's when you can do a lot of the stuff we've been talking again and again in this interview about knowing yourself. What do I want? What do I not want? And then being able to say that and be your own advocate. And if we can do that, that's actually in this healthy realm of self-interest that leads to the best outcomes for us and all of our relationships. When we are developing this healthy self-interest and we start to realize what we like and what we don't like, how do you figure out what your boundaries are? And then how do you go about getting the courage to express them? Yeah, I love that question. I think the boundaries discovery process is simply asking yourself this question frequently, which is, what do I want? And really consciously ask that. So before you go to that party, what do I want? Before you're in that meeting, what do I want? Even in the conversation, you're having a conversation with someone, what do I want right now? And again, there's so much selfish, bad, wrong. Actually, that's healthy to know that. That doesn't mean you pound the table and demand it or you get it every time. But to know that is important because then you can make more intelligent choices and actions based upon that information. And also to really pay attention because sometimes what you want it's not all in your head, right? You just, you're talking to someone and you start to feel like something in your body. When you cringe, you want to get away, you're agitated. Instead of saying, I'm so bad and I should be more loving or less judgmental or whatever, get curious and say, what's happening? Because you might just find, oh, this person keeps bringing the conversation to themselves and I find it kind of draining and not that engaging. I don't like this. Well, what do I want? Well, I'd either want the conversation to be more two-sided or I'd want to leave and talk to someone else. Great. Now you have information, which leads to the second part of your question, which is, okay, so you find out your boundary. How do you have the courage to do it? 
And I think it comes back to this fundamental decision of the way that I've been doing things, the nice person way is not working anymore. And when we have to have this fundamental decision that a step one, I'm going to be less nice. I'm going to be more authentic. Step two, I'm going to do the uncomfortable stuff. Step three, I'm going to work through the backlash and the discomfort. Because if we haven't made those decisions and we're kind of not that committed and we're sort of dabbling, then we'll just cling to it. And that's okay too. Sometimes we need to go on another round of the merry-go-round, as I like to call it. And then we're super nice for another year, another two. And then eventually, it just doesn't work anymore. Someone's like, I'm done. And then then they're willing to face the discomfort. And that's really the best answer is like finding that strong why, a strong commitment to just do the uncomfortable work in the service of something greater, in the service of you being who you're really meant to be here. I do want to stress, though, that if you are out there and you feel like you don't know who you are, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Because you're having the realization that you don't know who you are. It's when you live your whole life not knowing that there's a you to find that you do the most damage. But knowing, wow, I don't know anything about myself. All that tells me is, wow, there's so much of me to discover. And this is going to be fun. The less stress you create around this idea of finding yourself, the more fun it's going to be. It's self-exploration. It's self-discovery. And all it is is spending enough time inward to ask yourself questions and to actually reflect back on the answers. And when you find a seed, plant it. Let it grow. Allow yourself the space and the time to take action on some of the passions that you discover. Allow yourself the freedom to try new things and the self-respect of creating boundaries around the things that make you uncomfortable. So Dr. Aziz, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom around this subject because this topic has gotten a lot of requests and I understand why. I mean, especially as a woman, niceness is just something that's been drilled into me since childhood. I mean, even in the workplace, it's a lot. (laughs) So for listeners who would like to learn more about you and check out your book, Not Nice, Stop People Pleasing, Staying Silent and Feeling Guilty, where would you like them to connect with you online? Great point. I'd be so happy if people did because this journey is something I know inside and out and I'm very passionate about helping people liberate themselves in that way. And the conditioning is even more intense for young women and girls to be nice. And so there's more pressure in that way and even more reason to liberate ourselves. And the best way to do that would be to I have one website where they can kind of see everything about my books and my YouTube channel and podcasts and all these things. And it's called Social confidencecenter.com socialconfidencecenter.com but also just a google search it will get you into my world so dr aziz aziz you can find books or um, find me on audible find me on facebook just a lot of ways just get plugged in somewhere and i'm a big believer in this like this is my mission as well as my vocation so i have i don't even know just hundreds of hours of content out there at this point teaching this stuff so Get started. Get started for free. Go to my YouTube channel. Just do something. And then you'll get a taste. And all of a sudden, like the walls will start to kind of shake a little bit. You're like, wait a minute. Wait, this this cage that I'm in is not so real. It's just of my own making. And that's the moment that I live for is when people realize that, start to step out of the cage, and then their whole life is different a year later. So I look forward to hearing about people's uh, breakthroughs and journeys on that path. 
Okay, guys, your challenge for today is to find three areas of your life that you have been giving in to something that you don't want. Where can you learn to say no? This is a first step in understanding what your own boundaries are. It's that self-discovery that we talked about. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I realized that after I got married was when I really started to understand a lot of what I liked and didn't like. And I couldn't figure out why at first. And then I started to realize that it's because I had a sounding board. Instead of things just living in my head and floating off into the abyss and never coming out into the real world, never being grounded in reality, I wasn't able to take note of patterns. And when I had this person there where, you know, after any event, after any interaction, I was suddenly having a conversation immediately about my feelings, I was able to see it in a new light. So if you don't have that person, journaling can do the same thing. Just Or even just a moment with yourself, a meditation, where you take deliberate and intentional note of how you feel, what made you feel that way, what your ideal scenario is, and start to notice the patterns in yourself. All of the links, including Dr. Aziz's website and book, will be at mindlove.com slash 080. Also, as a reminder, our sponsors make this show possible, so if any of them pique your interest, please use the code. You get a little discount or bonus, and you help support the show. Other ways that you can support is through sharing. Take a screenshot, share it on social, tag Mindlove Podcast, or just send it directly to a friend, coworker, family member who you think would love the content. And don't forget, we also launched the Mind Love Shop at shop.mindlove.com. So go get your wild woman mugs. I love you all, and thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.